0: I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, and before we get to that, I was thinking about, so Seacoast now is 30 years old, and actually in 1988, in August of 1988, it was actually two churches merged into one. It was 30 years ago. There was a a Solana Beach Church, Evangelical Free Church of Solana Beach, merged with the First Baptist Church of Encinitas, and that was 30 years ago. Each of those churches have a history that goes back even further. But so the two became one 30 years ago. So I'm just curious because I know some of you have been a part of SICAS for a very long time. So I would love to see if any of you have been here since the beginning Could you go ahead and stand up? Let me see if anyone, I know we had a few in the first, so yeah, there's, okay, there's one couple, all right, you've been here all 30 years, oh, there we go, all right. Since the beginning, okay, stay standing, stay standing, okay, so you guys have seen a lot in 30 years, I guess, wow, so stay standing, 25 years or more, stand up, 25 years or more, okay, I'll add a few more, nice, let's go to 20, 20 years, Okay. All right, 15 more, fifteen or more. Keep standing. We want to see this. All right, let's go to 10. I'm still sitting down. I, I'm still not here yet. Nice. Okay, now my people, five years or more. Now I can stand. <laughs> all right, good. All right, you guys, let's all sit down. And so those of you who have been in the last five years, I want to include you and get you awake before I preach. Mainly, so if you've been here five years or less, go ahead and stand up. We'd love to. Or if you're just a guest, yeah. Okay, how about if in the last year? I'm sorry. You, they say never embarrass people, but if you've been here in the last year, just keep standing. I wanted to see if anyone's in the last year. You made it because you're here. Thank you. Cool. Well, welcome. Thank you for being here. It's great. And the cool thing is, is when you look at a church like this that has such long history, it's fun to see there's all these stories and all this, the ups and downs of church life and family life and, and life in general. So it's great to be together and to see some who have only been here, you know, a few months who are plugging in and a part of the community and some who've been here for 30 years. And, and it's just, it's a great, rich history that we have, that we celebrate here today. Now today, as we talk about celebrate, celebrating the past 30 years, we also don't want to just be grateful for how God has fa- been faithful, which we are, but we don't want to just celebrate the last 30 years. We want to think about what's the next 30. And I believe that today, that some of you, and, and as we as a family, as a church, we can make, there's decisions we may make today that will affect the next 30 years. For some of you, there's a message that you've been waiting to hear and and maybe stalling on responding to, but the decisions that you make will have it make a difference for the next 30 years, and we want to look at that today as a church and as individuals, so pray with me as we get started. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you uh, for the rich history we have here. I thank you that we have uh, 30 years to celebrate how you've been faithful through ups and downs of church life, of family life, and uh, just as a country, as a community, all kinds of things. And God, we look forward to what you want to do in and through and around us for the next 30, and the lives that you will change, and the marriages that you will heal, and the relationships that uh, will be mended because of the work that you will do in people's lives. And so we're grateful, and we trust you, and we give this time to you. In your name, amen. So the book of Ephesians chapter 2, the book of Ephesians is in the New Testament, kind of towards the end. If you're new to your Bible, you're welcome to use a digital version, or if you need a Bible, we have them in the back. It is our gift to you if you would like one of your own. But Ephesians chapter 2 is written, it's a letter written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul is what we call him, to a church in a town called Ephesus. And I believe that there's it's really important for us to understand this as Christians, but also in the life of a church, that I think this explains and helps us truly understand what we need, that we need to believe more about what God, who God is, and believe more about what he tells us about ourselves, what's true of our identity. So we want to look at this here today. So Ephesians chapter 2, and here's the starting point, the first three verses. Paul is writing, and he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power in the air, uh, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So as Paul starts off, he describes the starting point that we all begin with. And the starting point essentially is what he's describing. He's saying, you are dead in your sins. Now, this doesn't mean that you were an awful person. It doesn't mean that you were necessarily an evil person. But what it means is that apart from Christ, spiritually speaking, that we are dead in our sins. Because we are made to be in relationship with God the Father. And that relationship is made possible because of the work of Christ. And when we receive the gift that he gives us, that now we have a new life. But we all start off dead in our sins. Now, some of you, you remember that very well. You remember the life where you were dead in your sins. You know what that was like. You know what the, your, the thoughts going on in your mind. You know that you were searching for something and longing, but it wasn't there. And for some of you, maybe you say, well, I've always, I feel like I've always been a Christian. I was born into a Christian family. I, I received the Lord at a very young age. And so you don't remember that time. But apart from Christ, we're all dead in our sins. That's the starting point that we come from. Even in a community, you think of, when we think of our role as a church family together here, we're in a community that is dead in its sins apart from Christ. Now, again, this doesn't mean that everyone you meet is evil or bad people, but apart from Christ, that there's life that is missing. We are made for relationship with our Creator. And so as we look at North Coastal uh, County, Or we think of the partnerships we have to the ends of the earth. We're working with people who the starting point, apart from Christ, is they are dead in their sins. They don't have the fullness of life that comes through Jesus Christ. That is the starting point. And sometimes we look at some areas and think, well, this area is more dead in their sins than other areas. Does it feel that way sometimes? What we're basically talking about is here in North Coast of California, uh, or uh, San Diego County, this is not actually a Christian community, probably. Would anyone agree with me? And, and I remember when I first moved in here, I had a neighbor who, uh, who came and introduced himself, and he actually is very evangelistic. I found out that he, he meets all the new neighbors. He, he loves the Lord and wants people to know him. So the very first day, he sees me in the front yard with two of my kids, and he introduces himself, and, he, and then he found out I was a Christian, and I said, don't worry, you still get credit for witnessing to me, that's great. So, um, but, okay, never mind. So, um, but, but I told him I was a pastor at a church, and he said, oh, he goes, well, welcome to Encinitas. This is a dark place. It's going to chew you up and spit you out. <laughs> and I had a five-year-old and a 10-year-old next to me, and they just look at me like, uh, <laughs> and I just said, well, thank you for the encouragement, <laughs> you know. And, and since that time, we've actually gotten to know each other, and I really appreciate his heart, and he, and he loves the Lord. And, and, but the, what the point he was making is, you didn't come to the Bible Belt to serve and to work. There isn't an assumption here in Encinitas that people at least have somewhat of a belief in Jesus and, and, and are open to who he is. In fact, we have found at the school where my kids go, it's the first place that I've been that when I say I'm a pastor, there are some people who will stop talking and then the relationship is basically over. My wife has experienced that as well when she says, oh, my husband's a pastor, and they kind of go, oh, okay, well, that's the end of that, <laughs> which is interesting, but we're not in a community that is experiencing life in Christ in general. That's the starting point, point. and Paul is writing that we all started there at some point. In fact, when Seacoast became a church, it, we need to trace the roots back even further. To the, to, at some point in time, someone decided to plant a, a Baptist church, and someone decided to plant an EV free church in Solana Beach, and there are areas where God had called them and said, these areas need Jesus, so let's start there. Let's start a community of faith there. That was the starting point. But now I want you to look at verse 4. It's a great verse in the script, in scripture. It says, but God... Being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. I want you just to hang on that right there. Because this is the turning point. And I want you to see those first two words. And in, in if you have the New American Standard Version, it says, but God. You see, the state that we are in before Christ is one where we're lacking life. Where we're missing out on everything that our creator has for us. But God has a different plan. You at some point in your life, and maybe some of you here this morning, you're here and you are not experiencing the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. You're missing out on that. But God has a plan for you that's something more. But God has a story for you, and you don't have to stay where you're at. In our community, there are people who are apart from Christ, but God has a desire in his heart that they can be restored and redeemed and experience that relationship with him. See, the story doesn't end at the starting point. There's a turning point, but God enters in. And so we want to be people who are realizing, though sometimes things feel hopeless or desperate, but God wants to change that. Now look at this of what we learn about our God. It says, but God. And then he says, being rich in mercy. I love that description of being rich in mercy. Being rich in mercy. The, the word rich actually, uh, roots actually are in like heaviness. And so if you're rich in something in a lot of the biblical languages, it actually means that there's, there's this weight of it. It's utter, you can't look upon God without understanding and seeing mercy as a part of his character. And so God being rich in mercy, being weighted down with this compassion, weighted down with this grace for his people, that's utterly who he is, as a merciful, compassionate God. So God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us. Even, in verse 5, when we were dead our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. So the starting point is we're dead. The turning point is God being rich in mercy because of a great love for you and for me and your coworkers and your friends and your neighbors and your family. God has this great love for them. He has a great love for your boss that you don't like that much. He has a great love for the people who drive the cars in front of you and have never taken driver's ed. He loves them incredibly. For your neighbors who maybe keep you up at night sometimes with their music or their dogs or whatever it might be, he has a love for them, a great love. That's who he is. The turning point is when we understand who God is. Now look at the rest of the story. When we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing richness of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So the result of who this God is because of his great love, as he mentions a few things. The first is this. Because of God and his great love, he makes us alive in Christ. He makes us alive in Christ. We don't have to stay in that place where we're separated from God, where we're dead. But we're made alive. We have something more. We're now a part of the family of God and described as the body of Christ. So we are alive in Christ. So what does that mean? What should we do about that? I have a few things I want to encourage you that we should do about it. The first thing that I think this means for us is this. We need to stop going to church. We have been made alive in Christ, so I want to tell you today to stop going to church. It worked out perfectly in the first gathering. Someone got up and walked out when I said that. I was like, well, great. You know, putting God's word into action right here. Awesome. Awesome. But stop going to church. This is, when, we, when we are alive in Christ, we don't see the church as an event that happens once a week. We don't see the weekend gathering as something that we go to. Now, culturally, of course, it's, it's hard to erase that from our language, right? Are you going to church this weekend or are, what church do you go to? I get it. But when we have a mentality that we go to church, we treat it as an event as if we're treating it like a movie. We go, we kind of check it out. We evaluate it in our mind, and at the end, we leave our rotten tomatoes, what we think about how it went this weekend. Or maybe you treat it like a restaurant, where you go and you pick off the menu, the things that mean the most to you. And if you liked it, you leave the tip at the end. That's when you go to church. That's a mentality of going to church. But we're alive in Christ. It's the body of Christ. It's not an event that just happens sometimes. We want to be the church. So stop going to church and start being the church. Be a part of the family of God embedded in community under Christ with one another. When we are the church and we see ourselves as the church, we bear with one another. We we journey with one another. We build each other up when there's weaknesses and struggles. You know, uh, being the church is sometimes hard. Anytime if you're a leader in an organization, some of you own your own businesses, or you're the CEO or directors and have a lot of authority, and anytime you lead any organization, it's difficult. And churches are no different. L- leading a church, it has a lot of the same struggles and trials. And leading a church like Seacoast, where we're truly a multi-generational church, that's a very difficult thing. One of the things that brings me great joy is when I see someone who is in their 80s worshiping next to someone who's a teenager. I think that's a beautiful picture of what the church is, because that's what it's supposed to be, a family together, but that comes with its challenges. I'm willing to bet that the 80-year-old might have different musical tastes than the teenager. I'm just willing to bet that there's times when the two of them have a different preference when it comes to music. I'm willing to bet that there are some of you who have, uh, who've, have this history of attending it and being a part of a church family, and sometimes you see what people are wearing on the stage, and you think, you can't wear that in church. I'm just, I've never heard this, but I'm just willing to bet it exists. (laughs) And that brings some different challenges. But when we are the church, we can bear with one another. When we go to church, we start to make it about us. We make it about what we want. And I'm not saying you can't have your preferences. Have your preferences, but no. But how do we hold those preferences? You know, as a part of a church before, uh, and it wasn't Seacoast. In fact, I've got to say that Seacoast is one place where I have heard the fewest amount of kind of those kind of complaints compared to anywhere else I've worked. And either it's because you're coastal San Diego and you're like whatever, or, <laughs> which is probably partly true. <laughs> But also, it it, it speaks to the value of the community and and your love for one another, which is a DNA and part of who we are, and this is very consistent when I hear. But, I was a part of a church where there was a lot of complaining. In fact, one day, we received this comment, and I I kid you not, this is true, is uh, the worship leader who was leading worship for a few months, he he struggled um, with hair. In other words, he was bald. So, um, (laughs) I don't know a nice way to say that. When you're a person with hair, it's hard to talk about it. But, so... So, but he, he, was, he was bald, and he had a shiny head, and he was the worship leader. We received a comment one week that said, I am so distracted during worship because the lights are shining off of this guy's head. And the comment said, you really need to do something about this. And, you know, I was a youth pastor, so I got out some spray paint. I'm like, I'll fix it. No, I'm just kidding. So... But, but the thing was, that comment was someone who was going to church, but not someone who understood that they were the church. Because they were distracted worshiping God, and it was, of course, an anonymous comment, so we couldn't do anything about it. But I wondered, if, if I got to talk to that person, I would just be able to say, like, okay, so let me get this straight. So a person who, got, who was created in the image of God And as God knit them together in his mother's womb, chose to, to have him lose his hair. So he's God's beautiful creation. He doesn't have hair. That brother in Christ is distracting you from worshiping the creator of the universe who is rich in mercy and who loves you more than anything. You're distracted by that. The issue isn't his bald head. It's that you don't understand your own God. Sorry, if that was you. And you followed me down to this church. Now you, <laughs> n- now you know what I would say to you. <laughs> but the point is this. He, this person, he or she, who wrote that comment thought it was all about him. He thought, this experience is about me. And I'm distracted at something that's happening on the stage because he wasn't looking at his creator. He wasn't worshiping his God. Now, again, I'm not saying you can't have preferences and say like, oh, I love that you've played a song that I love this week. That's fine. But I'm convinced the other part is the longer that I'm a Christian, the older I am as a Christian, not as my physical age, but my spiritual age, the more I'm willing to hold my preferences loosely to reach someone for Christ. The longer I journey with Jesus and the longer I get to know who he is, the more I'm willing to say, you know what, that might not be my favorite style of worship, but if it's reaching somebody, praise God. Because I know where I am in Christ. And I'll find my moments where I can listen to the music that I like that was recorded in the 80s. (laughs) But if I can reach the next generation, I can hold my preferences loosely because it's not about me. Because I'm part of the church. I'm not going to church. One thing, again, as I said, I love about Seacoast is that we have a pretty good family feel here. Uh, This last week on social media, the question was asked, what has something that Seacoast has done for you in the past 30 years? And here's just a few of the comments that make me so grateful to be a part of a community that I think many, many, many of you understand the difference between going to church and being the church. Here's a few of the comments if you didn't get to see them yourself. So Seacoast has introduced me to the most incredible group of believers and friends. The ways that they're committed to serving our community via Love Encinitas has allowed me to use my gifts and passions inside and outside the church. Another person said, I found so much comfort and a feeling of home here. This includes a special group of ladies that ultimately gave me a community of friendships that I have been longing for. Another person said, I never felt like I belonged anywhere or even deserved to. But Seacoast, it, to me, is now like family. The community at Seacoast has helped me accept who I am and, and has, well, sorry, lost my track there, helped me accept that I care a lot more about things than I let on. And I know now that God has blessed me with an overwhelming heart and those connections that I've made at Seacoast make me feel empowered rather than ashamed of who I am. Another person said, Seacoast scooped me up and carried me through all my most recent family life stages. I've taken advantage of almost every resource available that lists about 20 different things that we have done. Another person said that Seacoast, as a single uh, mother, Seacoast has come alongside me and helped me raise my two boys. So this is a picture of people who understand what being the church looks like and not going to church. So I'm so grateful for all of you when you have that mentality and that attitude. This is what Paul is is reminding us. You are alive in Christ. You're no longer dead. Your old life is over. You're part of this new body. It's something bigger. So what else did he say? The next thing he says, so you're made alive in Christ. So the next, he says, you've been raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you've been not just made alive in Christ, but you've been raised up with him, which is this imagery of of dying to your old self and coming to life again in Christ, which next week we're actually going to have baptisms and we're going to celebrate and talk about what it means to be raised up in Christ, to have new life in Jesus. But you've been raised up in him, and now also you've been seated with him in heavenly places, now, what does that mean to be seated with Christ in heavenly places? I want to invite you to turn back in Ephesians to chapter 1. Verse 20, it's talking about God the Father who's working with Jesus. It says he, In Jesus, he raised him from the dead and seated Jesus at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So being raised up with Christ is the same imagery of what just happened, being seated with him. We just learned one chapter before that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. Now notice where he's seated. Above all powers and authority and dominion in the world. Above every name. Now we're seated with that Jesus. So what does that mean? That we can stop living in fear. That's the next thing. Stop living in fear. You've been raised up and seated with Christ. Do we go through our lives believing this? That we're seated with Christ, whose name is above every name, power, and authority on the earth? Do you know how different that is when we really believe that and live that out? And to the people who are writing in the church of Ephesians and Ephesus, these are people who believed and feared the gods. They worshipped Artemis and, and Athena and Zeus and Poseidon, and they were afraid of all the gods. They were afraid of fate. They, were, they had fear all the time in their life. So G, or Paul's writing to them and saying, Jesus is above all those gods and goddesses that you feared your whole life. Jesus is above fate that you think is going to somehow enter in and and control your life. So he's saying, remember, your identity is now you're raised up and seated with Jesus, who is above all things. You don't have to live in fear. Now, for me, I don't know the last time you uh, feared Poseidon um, or Zeus. It's been a while for me. (laughs) So maybe it's not the... Greco-Roman gods and goddesses that we fear, but what are the fears that control your life? Perhaps it's you fear that if you trust God with your relationships that he'll never actually bring you into a long-lasting one. I know some of you single adults have shared with me how difficult it is to surrender relationships to God. What if you live your life for him and you try to honor God in your relationships, but you never find the right one because of that? What if you fear if you trust God with your finances and you make decisions not to always get ahead, but to just invest in your family, invest in your church community, things like that, but you don't take that extra promotion? Do you fear what will happen? What fears are controlling your life? Those of you with kids, does the fear of letting your kids go each day control you? Do you want to hover around them and make sure that every step of the way that you've protected them. Now, it's natural as parents, we want to do that, do we not? But do you live in fear? Does that fear control you? Do you fear what it would be if you stepped out in faith and let people know that you were a Christian and you followed Jesus? Do you fear what people would think about you? Do you fear what that would do to your reputation? Do you fear what would happen in your workplace? See, that's very common for us to have all those fears. But if we remember we are raised up and seated with Christ next to the Father in heaven, we can stop living in fear and start living in freedom. We can start living in freedom. And this is a freedom because we understand who is in charge of all these things. You can have the freedom to live your life of faith among your neighbors, among your friends, your co-workers. You have the freedom to reach out and forgive someone who will not respond in kind. Because that doesn't matter. It's you walking out in your faith. And you, the creator of the universe, is who's over all things. If you really believe that, you can have incredible freedom in your life, how you live, how you interact. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of discipline. So we can start living in freedom. Part of that is just we need to change the way we think about things. We need to change how we start off each day. Craig Groeschel says this, our lives move, generally move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Now, that's not necessarily a deep theological statement, but in general, where we spend a lot of our time thinking and dwelling and placing our minds is often the direction our lives go. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, to set your minds on things above where Christ is seated. Where is that? That's also where you're seated, in heavenly places. So instead of starting off each day, Saying, Lord, I I, I don't know what's going to happen with my job. I don't know what's going to happen with my family. I don't know if I have time to get all these things done. I'm worried about my kids and this new friend they have. And, And instead of going through your life with all these, I can't, I can't, or I fear, I fear, what if we started each day like this? God, I'm grateful that you are the creator and sustainer of the universe. I'm grateful that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in me today. And I am seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion in any life around. Thank you, God, that I have a different identity, and I don't live the way I used to live, because now I understand who you are. Is anybody with me this morning? That changes the way you are going to face every single day. It changes the way you will face each day. And i got to confess, I don't start every day that way. But when I remember who I am and where I'm seated, it changes everything. So for the next 30, as an individual, where are you going to get your identity from? Is it because you've been raised up and made alive in Christ? Seated with Him? The next 30 as a church community... Is it based on fear and what ifs, and maybe that we shouldn't do it that way, or I don't know, or is it, no, we have the creator of the universe walking with us and leading us, and we can step out in faith as a church community. We can boldly try to reach our friends, our family, our neighbors. We can boldly send people to the ends of the earth, because at the end of the day, we don't have to be in charge. Our God is. We can boldly enter into the pain of marriages that are struggling and people working through addictions. We can boldly accept and love and walk with people who come in with a mess because we're not afraid of that mess ruining us because we believe the power of Jesus is at work in each one of our messes and he's the one who will redeem, restore, and heal all the brokenness. See, we don't have to fear our culture. We don't have to fear society when we remember we're seated with Christ. And notice how it ends in verse 7. So that in the ages to come, God might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All of this so that God may show off how good he is. Do you get it? He may show off how good he is. The riches of his grace will be shown through you and through me and how we live. And it says, for the coming ages. And I believe that that's talking about eternity. Partly that we'll wake up every day in eternity and we'll think, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, God? I don't know about you, but I used to live in Jerusalem. I was studying there with my family. And every day I woke up and I walked on the bus Uh, just at the end of my street and I got on the bus and we lived about a half mile from the old city and we drive by the old city walls like every day and I would just say like are you kidding me God I get to live here this is so cool and then I moved to Encinitas and I was like are you kidding me (laughs) like my drive into I'm watching my kids play baseball and the oceans in the background I'm just like you've got to be kidding me Lord this is so good I think that it, a picture of eternity in heaven, we're going to wake up each day, whether we ever go to sleep or not, but we're gonna, every day we're just going to be like, are you kidding me? You're that good? The riches of your grace are that huge? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. And it's not just eternity. See, the picture of this is so that every day God may show off the riches of his grace in your life. What is more beautiful to people who are watching and seeking for, mo- for meaning, seeking for purpose, seeking for something different in their life than to see people who are transformed by the riches of God's grace in us? That every day we wake up and say, are you kidding me? I still have breath in my lungs. I have a family of people I journey with. I have a church community that loves me and cares about me. Who laughs at my jokes. <laughs> it's like, maybe not. Okay, so. <laughs> Today, can we decide to buy into this? So God can do what he needs to do for the next 30. As individuals and as a community. I want to invite the worship team to make their, start making their way up. And I was thinking about this this last week that how grateful I am that not only did the two churches come together to make one 30 years ago, but even before that, there was decisions that were made that we benefit from today. In fact, this building was owned by the First Baptist Church, which the Hans were a part of, I believe. But even before that, all the way back in the 40s is when that church first launched in, in Encinitas. And you know, Self-Realization Fellowship started in Encinitas in the early 1900s. So here's a group of people who said, let's go into a place that's dead in their sins and try to bring life that comes from Christ. And decisions were made at that church. In fact, we we found some of the old records. And in the early 60s, they made a decision to sell their property, which uh, it was a church on 2nd Street. And they also sold, uh, they had a parish where the senior pastor lived in, and they sold that on 2nd Street, which I'm really grateful they did. Uh, (laughs) For $70,000, though, so you can't blame them. (laughs) But what they did then, and I actually joke about that, but the truth is I'm grateful because what they did is they bought five acres of land right here next to a divided highway that soon would become Interstate 5. It was even before it was the (laughs) 5. Which today we have over 350,000 cars on average drive by our campus every single day. I just think somebody at some point made a decision that said, Jesus, we want to see your name lifted up in this community. And now we have that legacy. We have a property that's paid for People who, it's a totally different church now, but it's, we're grateful for a decision that was made 60, 70 years ago. So what will we do today that 30 years from now, someone will look back and say, I'm so grateful that that community of people started praying for me, that that community people, of people reached out and accepted me in my woundedness. How many generations will be changed and affected because of we decide to be today and I don't know about you but 30 years from now I can't wait to look back and to see this community and praise God that because we decided to make it about him and lift up his name and remember who we are in him that there will be lives and families who are changed and transformed forever and I don't know about you but I'm in anything about that I'm in I can't wait if it's about Jesus changing lives, I'm in. So as we end our time here, I think what's appropriate is not that we sing any songs about ourselves, but that we pour out our praise to our God. Because we're not about building the kingdom of Seacoast. In 30 years, who knows, it may have a different name. But if Jesus' name is being made known and being, lives are being changed, that's what we're about. So let's end our time declaring that this is about the glory of our King, Jesus, and revolving around who he is, and that he reigns and rules in this place. Pray with me. God, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you again for 30 years of your faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that we would see you move for the next 30 in ways we couldn't even explain. Lord, and I pray that the riches, the richness of your grace would be made known in our lives every single day and to the coming ages, Lord, so that more and more would be drawn to you and your name would be lifted up. So we thank you, God, and we give you our praise as our anthem to you to end our time.